There's an interesting tool out there, fairly modern one, used for controlling animals. It can keep animals out of an area, or it can keep animals in an area. Now, I raise a few cattle, and a grown-up cow weighs north of a thousand pounds. If they're determined, they can walk through a heavy lumber fence, take it down posts and all, hardly even notice they were stopped. Yet, I can contain my beef critters in a fence made out of two strands of plastic twine. Twine is like magic. You see, it puts a certain thought in their shaggy heads. People are only a little bit different from that. With the freedom to form proper thinking, they're unstoppable. But you destroy that ability to think and they can be herded just like a cow. Do you want to hear a little bit more on how I control my cows and a lot more about how people are being controlled today? Well, have a seat by the fire because you found your way into the camp of the enemy patrol. You have found the frequency of the enemy patrol podcast. Please stand by for new directions. Over. Welcome to the Fire of the Anime Patrol. If this is your first time listening to the Anime Patrol, I'll let me introduce myself. I am the Anomic Ranger, your very own reality scout. And as your reality scout, I give you information that you can use moving ahead in this adventure called life. Since you're the general in this campaign called life, it's up to you to make the ultimate decision your humble reality scout just gives you the lay of the land, so to speak. You can use the reports moving forward, or don't. I just tell you what I see. And if you like these and you want to know a little bit more about uh, the Anomic Ranger, you can subscribe so you don't miss a report from the Enemy Patrol. Or you can take a look at my website, anomicranger.com. I do a little bit of writing there, as well as uh, posting these Anime Patrol reports, and if you want to send me an email, you can do so on the contact portion of that website, or you can send me an email direct to animepatrolhq at yahoo.com. That's animepatrolhq at yahoo.com. And if you like what I write or our podcast, give me a good rating, subscribe, comment, but most importantly, share with somebody, share with a friend. Share with somebody you think would uh, benefit from these reports. I like to try and share these things with people who are wondering what's going on in the world. That's what anime is. It's a breakdown of social conditions or values in a society that leaves people shaken, leaves people wondering what's going on. If you want to know what anime is, that's what it is. And it seems like in this day and age, that's the way things seem to be going. Anyway, um, I usually break these down 
I say usually because I'm going to do it a little bit different today, but I usually break these down into roughly three sections. I do one section, the veneration of the normal man. I do another section on lies found in society. And then at the very end, I give some practical tips so that it's not all just talk, talk, talk. There's actually things that you can do. Now today, just due to the material that I'm going through, the veneration of the normal man and lies found in society is just going to kind of mix together. It'll be one big section. But before we get started in that, I know there's some people out there that are wondering at my intro what I'm talking about when it comes to cows and fences. Well, I'll remove the mystery. I'm talking about electric fence. Now, anybody that's been around agricultural areas knows what an electric fence is. And I wasn't kidding when I talked about just plastic twine, because that's what I'm using in a certain area right now. I just strung this stuff up. It's got three strands of basically fairly tough plastic, kind of wove together like twine. But woven in with the, the plastic string, if you will, is some really small metal filaments. Those metal, metal filaments are there to carry an electric charge. Um, you set up what they call a fencer at one end, and you hook it up to your fence, and it sends out a little jolt of electricity that's uh, uh, fairly high in voltage, but uh, uh, quite uh, quite low in, in the amount of electricity. So it gives you a shock, but it's not really dangerous. It's painful, but not dangerous. And... Um, it becomes a psychological barrier to an animal. They touch it once and they get snapped and in their mind they say, I'm never going near that thing again. Now, if you think this is kind of cruel, I'll let you know that I have tangled with an electric fence multiple times. Um, when you're going to climb over it or working on it or something like that and you ground yourself and you touch it and whew, it gives you quite the snap and it's fairly painful, but um, it's not really dangerous. Um, tell you a little story, <laughs> just to let you know that, oh, I don't know, maybe some people will think this, I am cruel. It's a, when my kids were small, we went, um, went out to uh, a greenhouse to buy some plants, and this greenhouse was out on a farm, and, and uh, so there's fences around, and I noticed they were electric fences, so I told my kids they were, I don't know, seven and eight or six and seven, something like that. And I told them, don't you touch that fence or you'll get a jolt. And kids being kids, well, they didn't believe dad. So, of course, they just couldn't stay away from this fence. They, they went over to it and I was busy. I was looking at plants with my wife and everything. And all of a sudden they come running back and they said, dad, you're, you, that fence isn't electric. You're telling telling us stories and I said well what'd you do well we we dared each other to touch the fence I said oh yeah did you touch it yeah we touched it and there, there was didn't do anything I said well that's because your shoes have rubber in them and you're not grounded I said if you don't believe me and you're determined I said put one hand on the ground and touch the fence with the other hand well it wasn't too long later one of them come back boohoo and goes, yeah they'd done that they touched the ground and then touched the fence and got snapped. So yeah, it's 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 uh it's a good snap, but it's not really what you'd call cruelty. Unless you think I'm cruel to my kids. But anyway. Let's now get into how everyday normal folks 
are being psychologically herded with much like an electric fence. A lot of it has to do with the ideas in the head. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff being pumped out by the media. There's a lot of stuff going on right now that's making everybody wonder kind of what's going on. I mean, we have all this electric, electric election mess down in the States. Um, we have all this stuff with this uh, supposed pandemic. Um, closures and masking and distancing and, you know, fear and confusion are just reigning supreme in our culture right now. And as we go through, I'm going to show you that that's a feature, not a bug in the whole idea of controlling the common man. So let's talk a little bit more about what is the status in the world today? Well, I mentioned the U.S. election. I mean, at the very least, it's destroying the confidence that people feel. And as of this recording, none of it's decided yet. It's being fought out in the courts. And it's um, one side saying one thing, the other side saying the other. But the, when you boil it down, what's coming out of it is nobody's going to trust it. It doesn't matter which way this goes. Nobody's going to trust elections after this. And, you know, the U.S. is a leader in the world. I mean, they're the world superpower and they brag all the time about their system and well they even went to war to spread their culture and their democracy over the rest of the world and they can't even seem to run a democracy in their own country and then we have this chai com flu i hate calling it what they want us to call it covid it comes from the Chinese Communist Party, as far as I'm concerned, or at least they lied about it and let it spread, but it's fear is a method of control. And this is definitely, they're definitely pumping out the fear. I mean, you look at the numbers and they're not near as bad as people thought it was going to be, and they're not near as bad as some people think they are. And um, if you look at the numbers, it's like a 99.98% survival rate. That's hardly on the level of pandemic. If you want to know more about um, uh, fear um, and how it's used to control people, you can listen to my episode 12, the last episode that I did before this one. And oh, I guess I should mention, there's one thing I didn't talk about is, um, yeah, I've been missing in action for a while. My, my last podcast came out, um, this episode 12 came out uh, August 25th. So I'd said I was going to try and put an episode out every two weeks, and it just didn't work out. I guess you can say maybe I was on an extended scouting mission. Uh, some of it had to do with just we finally got some decent weather at the end of summer, and I had a lot of stuff to catch up on. And and then I decided to just kind of wait and see how this election was going to play out and some other things, and to just kind of maybe get things straight in my head of what exactly I was going to talk about the next time I got in front of this microphone. So... Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. So yeah, if you want to know more about fear, you can listen to episode 12. Um, as far as the this flu thing, one of the reasons that I think it's maybe a little contrived, not the flu itself, but, but um, the response to it is uh, now there's a lot of talk around about this, the Great Reset or the Reset. And uh, the best example of that is was announced by K 
Canada's own twinkle-toed prime minister. And he's advocating, saying it's a, it's a great opportunity to bring about this World Economic Forum reset that's touted by the UN. And this, um, this uh, great reset, it comes complete with its own cliched arch-villain. Oh, I forget his name, Klaus or something. But anyway, if you go on the World Economic Forum and, and watch some of their videos and read some of the material that they have, which I've heard they're trying to shove down the memory hole now. They've, they've removed a lot of the stuff that was there initially when I first looked at it. But as far as I'm concerned, it's just communism by another name. And then you have, over the summer, you had all the riots and Antifa and BLM, and that's setting up in Seattle at Chaz or CHOP or whatever they called it. Autonomous zone, and all the burning and looting and killing. Definitely puts people back on their heels. And then you got the rise of big tech, which has become very political. They're very much on one side. And they are trying to throttle voices that they don't like. And with all this, with um, Trump beginning to call the media enemy of the people and things like that, that just kept going. And basically he pulled the mask off the legacy media. And it's very political too. I mean, they all go to one side. They're all pretty much on the left. And with all this stuff between riots and flus and shutdowns and laws and, well, you have the breakdown of small businesses and institutions that were of great benefit to just normal people. You notice the, the big, the big uh, conglomerates and multinationals, they not only are not suffering, they have actually cleaned up. So they have a lot of people saying this is a, a way to... Um, very much it's a wealth transfer big businesses are cleaning up and the little businesses are getting run out so i at this point i will give you a quote um, some people quote, um, give it to edmund burke said this other people say it was john stuart mill but and the wording might be off, but the quote is, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And when we look at the way things are going, it certainly seems like evil is triumphing um, over the common everyday man. So that's what this is going to be about, is why do good men do nothing? I mean, if every normal person, if the majority of people just stood up in solidarity and said no to any of this stuff, it would all end tomorrow. If the experts come out and started saying, do this, do that, do something else, and people just said, no, no, I think you're wrong. I'm not going to do that. What, what, they can't lock everybody up. They can't fine everybody. The powers that be can't arrest and fine and push around people that will not be pushed around. They just can't do it. Now, I know there's some people out there who think, you know, don't make a big deal out of this. It's just a mask or it's just distancing. It's just, you know, like we got to they, they give in to this, the fear of the disease or the fear of, well, we'll go into more on that, different things. But the one thing to those people I'd like to say, have you heard of the end game? 
do you know where this is going to end? Has anybody said we have to do this for this long and then if it doesn't work, we're going to try something else? Or if, you know, once this happens, then things will go back to normal. Nobody's talking about that. I mean, how many times are they going to lock everything down? Every time they do a bunch of testing with tests that are highly irregular and not very accurate and the numbers go up and so they again lock small businesses down to the point of where they're going out of business. I mean, they are literally destroying the economy in, in the Western world. How many cases do, how many have to drop before things return to normal? You see, nobody's talking about that. In fact, they're talking about the exact opposite. They're talking about the new normal. It's going to be the new normal. And even, you know, once we, you know, develop new medicines or new things to combat this, they're saying, oh, well, we'll still have to wear masks. We'll still have to distance. And apparently still shut down. So nobody's talking about the end game on this. All they're talking about is they, they like these being able to give orders. So what makes some people follow these government orders in lockstep? Now, there might be a small percentage of people who are true believers. They just, they just listen to what the experts say and they really believe in it. I know those people are out there because, you know, they're very vocal about it. Like, they're angry at people who won't listen. So we have some people that are true believers in the whole thing. And, I mean, really, when you, even when you talk about this neo-communist reset, there are true believers in that too. They, they think it's a great idea. You know, forgive all the debts. Nobody can own private property. You get a monthly stipend. You don't have to do anything to get it. But that's not the majority of people. And then there's a small minority of people that are just kind of nasty. They love all these little rules. Even if they their amount of power that they have is nowhere near a governor, maybe they're only in charge of a store, or maybe they're only in charge of a small group, or maybe they just run around taking charge of whoever they think that isn't following the rules. You know, the Karens of the world. They are going to harp on people. They're going to rat people out. And the, and the government is encouraging this. Oh, yeah, phone the government if, if your neighbor's not following these rules quite properly. But that still is not the majority of people. So where does that leave the majority? Where are they at? Well, they're mostly, they're just confused. I mean... This is why we're going to look and think about the majority of people, the majority normal people that just want to live a normal life and ask ourselves, why are they going along with this craziness of 2020? First of all, I think this process, I'm going to call it brainwashing because that's essentially what it is. You can, you can call it by their names, but let's just call it brainwashing for now. It started long before 2020. Our education system, our news media, our entertainment culture has been quietly pushing toward a totalitarian type society for a long time. At the very least, they, in quotation marks. Now, I know some people say, oh yeah, who's they, who's they? Well, 
if you really want to know who they are, you can go on my website, which is anomicranger.com, and you can look up one of the blogs that I wrote um, to understand who they are. And it's not mysterious. Um, the blog post is called Understanding Conspiracy Theories, The Infamous They. I think I published it on July 27th of 2020. And you can read about at least who I believe they are. It's not aliens. It's, it's nothing too wild or outlandish. But it, whether you call it a conspiracy theory or just the way things work, it doesn't really matter. There is a they out there. There is those who think that they have something to say to the rest of society. And they either have the power, or the fame, or the money to be able to do it. And they're doing it. That's who they are. But uh, let's take a look at some of the more direct methods of societal psychological control. Long phrase for brainwashing. Being used at this present time in 2020. Okay, first one is fear. And I've already mentioned this one. And this fear is, it's not a horror film type fear, like run screaming. This is a low-grade alarm. And it's to keep the population off balance. It leaves them no time to think. leaves them no time to plan. It um, leaves them no time to reason. It's just one thing to be afraid of after the next. And never getting set to take on tomorrow because you have no idea what's going to take place. A good place to see this is you look at memes and there's a, a lot of memes out there. You know, it's like what else can happen in 2020 and they have pictures of UFOs coming down out of the sky and zombie apocalypses and everything else. So the people are feeling this. And it's very hard to, to become normalized to fear. And if you do become normalized to fear, it affects your ability to reason. The next one is separation. Now, you keep people isolated. You stop in-person conversations. Um, you regulate virtual conversations like uh, big tech is doing right now, only allowing one side of the conversation to come out and warning people, you know, sticking warnings. If they say something that the big tech doesn't like, they have warnings. Oh, these fact checkers, like nobody, you don't know who a fact checker is. It could be some overweight college dropout in front of a, a computer deciding on, on fact-checking from a doctor. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, you drive wedges into communities because you don't allow them to meet. And so, the you know, it takes a lot to run a, a community um, get-together of any kind, even a, even a farmer's market or a bake sale or anything. It takes a lot of coordination. People have to meet. They have to decide things. So you just put a stop to that and all these things go away. Keeps people isolated. You stop protests. Unless, of course, it's Black Lives Matter or Antifa or some of those type protests. Those, for some reason, are okay. And those are good because they're violent and they're nasty. And they drive the fear and the separation even more. And then when... People do have to run into one another in stores or malls or, or places like that. Well, then you make sure that they wear a mask and they stay separated six feet apart. And then this becomes a psychological separation. And even if you don't believe that, and, you know, the first time I read that, you know, I'm talking about diseases and stuff, like yeah, people say, well, masks, it's not a big deal. Well, 
It is. You go in a store and you put this thing on. You can hear yourself breathing. You're breathing in your own waste. I don't know about anybody else, but I get slightly lightheaded after I walk around wearing a mask for a while. I, I can't imagine people have to wear them all day. I mean, there's been t- certain jobs that I've had where you had to wear a mask and it's it's a chore. But at the very least, you can't see people smile. You can't see their faces. All you see is the mask. And even if you didn't believe in that, even if you think, oh, come on, you're, you're, you're exaggerating. Well, the masks have divided people in another way. And it's, it's become a, a morality thing. I mean, they, they like to promote that. If you wear a mask, you're, you're responsible and you're a good person. And if you don't wear a mask, well, you're evil and selfish and you want to kill grandma. So all these things, fear and separation. And lastly, you put all these things together and, and plus a bunch of other stuff and you get confusion, which is our third one. And it's much like fear. Confusion keeps people off balance. And they want to trust the people in the white lab coats and the politicians, but the story keeps changing. Now, I can understand this. Whenever there's a problem in in the world, it doesn't matter whether it's a forest fire or an earthquake or anything that happens, or a disease running around, there's always confusion at the beginning. But, you know, it's been six months six months of this and there's still no cohesion there's no single voice there's no decision making i mean they've been looking at this and trying things the data has come in they should know you know look at this you know open the schools close the schools open the schools close the schools they've known for five months that children do not not only not affected by the this chinky pox or whatever you want to call it they still close the schools and now they're, well, maybe we can open the school. Like I said, there's, there's no, the decision-making seems to be on a whim and it keeps changing back and forth. And this creates great confusion. And when people do manage to get together and they do manage to talk to one another without being fact-checked and throttled and shadow-banned and all the other thing, everybody knows different facts because different facts keep coming out. The facts and the figures and the conclusions to this whole thing keep changing. So everybody knows something different. It's impossible to get together and even have a conversation because one person spouts one set of numbers and another person spouts another set of numbers and it's just confusion reigns supreme. And the legacy media has been, you know, the cognitive dissonance and outright lies that they've been pumping out are never admitted, even when they get caught. You know, it's blatant cheating on the facts and the figures constantly. And the terms and definitions of things keep changing. You know, when this first started, they were looking at hospitalizations, they were looking at deaths, and now all you hear about is cases. And that has to do with the testing. And the testing itself is questionable. From what I can read, and I I won't admit to understanding everything about how some of these tests work, but from my understanding of it is false positives are rampant. So why is this constant change? Is it stupidity or is it part of the plan? Now, I know some people say, well, you know, never give in to conspiracy where stupidity will explain it. It's possible. But I do know that the left has this saying, never let a crisis go to waste. And 
it seems to me that's what's being used here. They're using this crisis to push through something. I mean, there's no doubt that the Chai Com flu is a real virus. And there's no doubt that people have died, and that's sad. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's bad when people get sick. But we've been dealing with flus and outbreaks and diseases in humanity for a long time. And when you have one that has a 99.9% survival rate, and the only deaths you have, I think the average age is like 87. And most of the people that have died have been in long-term care. Or they've had com- comorbidities, other things wrong with them. And they die and they write it down as COVID because then they get money from the government. That seems to me like that's engineered. So let's assume for here on out for the rest of this, that this response that big tech, big media, big gov is doing is a psyop and it's being used to force change within our society. I previously mentioned Canada's prime minister, Mr. Happy Socks announcing the Wuhan flu as an opportunity to bring about change and to build back better. That's another buzzword here, build back better. And they're using it in the States, they're using it in Europe. And this is all comes out of the World Economic Forum's playbook for their new version of, of communism 2.0, I guess. And, you know, talking about confusion, one day... Prime Minister Happy Socks gets up and starts using these buzzwords and calling it an opportunity and the build back better and actually calling it the Great Reset. And when it gets brought up in our House of Commons by the loyal opposition, um, then he gets up and says, well, if you guys want to play around with conspiracy theories and talk about conspiracy theories, I'm trying to, you know, stop a pandemic, you know, all self-righteous. Well, (laughs) that's confusion. Now, anybody that listens to Prime Minister Happy Socks, he is a very confused person. He only knows buzzwords. So maybe he's not actually, maybe he's just a a sock puppet and he's just mouthing things. I don't know. But either he's spreading confusion or he's confused. So you have to decide all this stuff happening, the flu, the BLM riots, the lying media, wild stories on the internet, all the election irregularities. And you have to come to conclusion in your own mind where you stand. Because this is looking to me like a fight between sanity and madness, order and disorder, good and evil. And if you wait for the authorities to tell you what to do or you want to just go with the crowd, you're going to be forced down a bad trail. That's the way it's looking. A bad trail that leads to an earthly perdition of fear and confusion. It doesn't seem to be heading anywhere else. So it's past time to look at the way that the world is causing your timidity and your indecision to see the weapons that are arrayed against you, to see what's causing this fear and separation and confusion. And that's where we're going to head to next. We're going to head to have a look maybe at these uh, electric fences, these small pieces of twine that teach you lessons and look at where they're hurting you because I think it's toward a bad end.
So this is only for those who feel that this is a tipping point. Those who want to see. Remember that. I don't judge anybody who wears a mask for now to keep a job or put food on the table, roof over their head. But everyone needs to draw a line in the sand to say this far and no further. Everyone has to decide because from what I see, they, in quotation marks again, are engineering a future where you won't be allowed to make a decision for yourself. If you take a look at, the, at that reset, they want to build a world where, and this is their own words, I quote, you will own nothing and you will be happy. I don't know about you, but to me that, that the sniff test says Brave New World and 1984. But you got to make that decision for yourself. So let's break down some of these psychological factors that stop decent common people from just saying no to the myriad of, of tyrannical laws and stupid decisions coming from these higher-ups. So I'm going to, first of all, break these down into two categories, outward hindrances and inward hindrances. Hindrances that stop you from deciding things for yourself. And, and some of these outward and inward, they work in tandem together, but this is just a way to break it down so I can explain it. Okay, number one some outward hindrances. These are things put in place by the power brokers around us. Many of them rely on the power of a herd mentality. Keep everybody in a group and explain to them how the group thinks. Everyone is doing this, so you must do it as well. And then they reinforce that with a lot of screen propaganda. It doesn't matter whether it's television or social media or radio or whatever. And it uses shaming, it uses fines, it uses peer pressure, it uses mob threats, it uses, well, maybe not from the government level, but doxing and job loss and, and things like that. The powers that be, you know, you're talking about, when I talk about that, I'm talking about big corporation, big government, big tech, you know, um, big media. They make it easy to go along with the plan. And they make it very hard to go against it. You know, line up at the store. They hand you a mask. They have signs up warning about laws and fines if you don't do as you're told. You're told if you don't do it, you're selfish, etc. And then your coworkers, I mean, and neighbors and stuff like that. It's like if you say you say you're working at a company and and you put on the internet, you criticize Black Lives Matter for its Marxism, not not because it's about black lives, but just the organization itself is Marxist, they say they are. So your coworker, he criticizes BLM. The next minute he gets doxxed. They put his address and phone number and where his kids go to school on the internet. And then he starts receiving death threats for being a racist. And the next minute he loses his job. Well, that's bound to I think people will say, you know what, it ain't worth it. I'll just go along. And this is, is a lesson, if you think about it. This is a lesson that all of us that are, <clears throat> well, I suppose anybody, anybody younger than about 70 at this point, I mean, and you went to public schools, you know that there's a rule. It's the tallest nail gets pounded down. They don't want people to be individualistic. They want people to be conform and 
be what they call normal. That you just, you don't stick out. You're not the tallest nail or you're going to get whacked. So you learn from a very young age to just do what everybody else is doing. Get up and leave your desk when the bell rings. Walk down the right side of the hallway. Um, <clears throat> don't dilly-dally at your locker. Don't, I mean, there's all kinds of things. And anybody that goes outside of that, well, then they get, the tallest nail gets pounded down. And we've been conditioned to this as long as we can remember. Now, a little bit of a sidebar here. I'm talking about leftists. <clears throat> I just have to point this out because I've noticed it. I don't know if anybody else has noticed this, but have you ever noticed that the leftists and you see them, you know, when they're marching? I mean, it's hard to see with Antifa because they all wear black, but even when they're not in their black costume to go out and beat people up, um, if you look at them when they're just, you know, on the internet or maybe when they get arrested and their mask gets pulled off. Have you ever noticed how desperate they are to be individualistic? I mean, they dye their hair weird colors and they cut it weird and they're all, they all got face hardware and they wear weird clothes and they're all basically screeching the same message. They all look the same. Anyway. I just thought I'd mention that. It's it's interesting because in their mind their 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 tattoos and their and their facial jewelry and their hair colors are they're trying so hard to be individualistic. And in the end, they look like they were punched out of the same mold. But anyway, that's just a little observation, a sidebar. So since we're talking about individualism, what what stops us? from swimming against the current. What are some of the things that stop us? And that's going to lead us into now talking about these inward hindrances. Talked about the outward hindrances. What about the inward ones? Because this is where your biggest battle is going to lie in this. I mean, if you can defeat your internal programming, then the outward hindrances will seem a lot smaller. So what are some of the inward hindrances? Well, I'm going to talk about these and think of these as hurdles that you jump over. You know, those guys that, that in the Olympics, they have the, you know, the hurdle races. I don't know. I think they have an official name. I can't, but you, you run and then you jump over a hurdle and you run and you jump over a hurdle. Or like the horse jumping contest, you know, they start out with low walls and then they get higher and higher. And maybe they have water, so they have to jump further. That's what I'm talking about. These hurdles are going to get bigger and bigger. Okay, so the first hurdles are, are fairly simple. And fairly low. We're just not used to stepping over them. We tend to just not bother stepping over them. How about something like laziness? I mean, that's what got us in trouble in the first place. That's what's brought our society to this point, is apathy. And I'm not going to, you know, badmouth people who, you know, just don't want to go against the current. I mean, people have jobs. They got kids to raise. They got mortgages to pay. They got, they got things to do. They can't be bothered you know, going against the current for some small thing. And we get a little bit apathetic. We, you know, just want to do our job and come home and see our kids and maybe get a chance to relax, watch a little television or play a video game or something to, you know, amuse ourselves and relax. But it breeds apathy. And that's something that is, is a low hurdle that's going to have to be jumped over if things are going to change. How about politeness? That's a fairly low hurdle. I mean, telling a Karen to go to hell for 
bad-mouthing you or making a scene in a store about wearing a mask, things like that. It's very impolite. It's, it's rude. And I don't know. I know Canadians supposedly have this reputation of, of being so polite and always saying sorry, and that's true. But, I mean, I think most people the world over, politeness is something that you're taught from a very young age. You don't want to make a scene. What about a sense of shame? You know, that's why they call people selfish who won't wear a mask. That's why the whole racist thing works so well, because people, I mean, that's a horrible thing to, to call somebody, to call somebody a racist or say they're selfish or you want to kill grandma. I mean, it's, it's, it's shame that, that they're using to try and control. Okay, so those are some of the small ones to step over. I mean, everybody's gotten rude at some point or another when you feel like you're being put upon and, and, and people if they get riled up, certainly you're not lazy or apathetic. These are all things that we can get over. But now the hurdles are going to get a little taller here now. You're taught from a young age to be law-abiding. And usually conservative people pride themselves in it. I've always followed the law. I've never gotten a speeding ticket. I always listen to the police. And this whole law-abiding thing is, is really good it makes for an orderly society it makes for a fairly wealthy society if everybody obeys the law it makes for things lack of confusion if everybody you know follows when the light turns green you go when the light turns yellow you try and stop if the light's red you do stop and that stops traffic accidents and things like that so following the rules is important and we've been taught for a long time that since we were very young you've got to follow the rules and then when you get older, so you got to follow the laws or a policeman will come along and, and take you before a judge and you could get fined or jail time or something if you do break the law. And, well, that might be something. I mean, if laws go bad, they have to be broken. And we're just not used to it. But heck, everybody's broken some rules now and again. Maybe it's time to get over that one. Maybe the rules that they're putting in place are not designed to make society better. What if they put rules in place that are designed to tear society apart? And people are starting to break rules. And how about being taught from a young age to always believe in the science? You know, uh, believe in the experts. And that's what they always bring before everybody. It's like, well, if you want to know what's going on, we're going to bring an expert in front of the microphone and the expert you know, tells everybody what's what and, and that's supposed to make everything better. But have you noticed how much these dweebs in the white lab coats have been put in places of power? I mean, even above elected leaders, you elect a leader to represent you and represent your interests. And instead of making a decision, they bring up this guy that supposedly is an expert. He's wearing a white lab coat and he's telling us stuff that we have a hard time believing and if a scientist comes up and disagrees with that scientist, well, then he's not a real scientist and yada, yada, yada. You know, the best example of that is there was a bunch of doctors that uh, down in the States that, you know, got up in, in front of a microphone and said this whole thing, this, this, this Wuhan flu thing is being blown out of proportion. And on Facebook and places like that, they had fact checkers that disagreed with them. Well, I'm afraid... The way it should work is the experts should come up and give their expert opinion and the people should speak and the leaders should listen to the people. We've been programmed to listen to experts as our betters. And if you don't, well, then the shaming kicks in if you have doubts. 
you don't know what you're talking about. Who are you to criticize an expert, criticize a doctor? Well, the experts aren't always right. Neither are doctors. You know, and then here we go on another sidebar. I'm going to run down this little rabbit trail, but who made Bill Gates an expert in diseases or world population? Well, how come he gets a microphone for that? If he wants to tell me about computers, I'll listen. But everything else, he's no better at deciding the way the world should go than anybody else. Why? Because he's got a lot of money? Or even worse, how about Leonardo DiCaprio telling us about global warming? What made him an expert in anything? He's an actor. I mean, he puts on clothes that people tell him to put on. He reads lines that somebody else wrote. They tell him to go this far from the camera. He goes that far from the camera. And he, and he plays a, somebody else that he's not. How does that make him any kind of an expert in anything? And the same goes for sports stars and all the rest of them. They're trained to chase a ball. If, if they want to tell me how to chase a ball, I'll listen. Otherwise, as far as I'm concerned, they're idiots. Anyway, all they got is either a lot of money or a pretty face or people recognize them. That's it. That's all they got. And here they are up lecturing everybody else. I mean, as far as like some football star or basketball star telling us about global warming, I mean, you may as well listen to Nancy who pours your coffee at the local diner. In fact, she might even be smarter than some of them. Anyway. Enough of that. Okay, so these hurdles are getting higher now. Now some of them are getting really high. These are ones that you're going to have to think about it. You might have to run really hard and jump as hard as you can to get over them. What about cowardice? What about just being afraid? How about responsibility? Dependence? Nobody wants to get mobbed. Nobody wants to get fired. Nobody wants to get arrested. People have kids they have spouses, they have jobs, they have mortgages. This is not an easy thing to get over. And I won't even pretend that I can even make it over some of the medium hurdles. I'm not telling you this because I'm so good at it or I've got this all figured out. Or I'm just talking about it because I, I uh, identify with anybody out there that, that, that you know tries to not get arrested or not get mobbed or not get beat up. I totally understand. But if this is the way society is going, a person has to at least think about maybe we're going to have to do that. You know, and to help us think about this, to get over these hurdles, I want you to get an image in your mind and, and anybody that's went to school or even read some history or, and you've seen those pictures of the Jews in World War II over in Europe being loaded onto cattle cars, already separated from their loved ones, shuffling in groups. You think they were worried at that point about their jobs or their businesses or their mortgages? Who hasn't seen those pictures and wondered why, why didn't they resist? You know, lots of them, there's, there's like, you know, a hundred people and three guards with rifles. If that hundred people would have rushed those guards and beat them up and taken their rifles, those rifles could have taken out more rifles. And I know I've thought about that. Well, it's because of these hindrances. I'm going to read a quote here now. Something to think about. And this is somebody who went through it. Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I think I've read this on this podcast before. The quote from the book, The Gulag Archipelago. And the quote goes like this. And he's talking about 
I mean, he was arrested and he was sent to a gulag where a lot of people didn't make it out of. And he says this, and how we burned in the camps later thinking, what would things have been like if every security operative, when he went out at night to make arrests, had been uncertain whether he would return alive and had to say goodbye to his family? Or if during periods of mass arrests, as for example in Leningrad, when they arrested a quarter of the entire city, people had not simply sat in their lairs, paling with terror at every bang on the downstairs door and terror at every bang and every step on the staircase. But they had understood they had nothing left to lose and had boldly set up in the downstairs hall an ambush of half a dozen people with axes and hammers and pokers or whatever else they could find at hand. The organs would have very quickly suffered a shortage of officers and transport and notwithstanding all of Stalin's thirst, the cursed machine would have ground to a halt if, if we didn't love freedom enough and even more, we had no awareness of the real situation. We purely and simply deserved everything that happened afterwards. That was communism. That's how people were treated. And that's what they thought later. So I guess that's why I'm reading this. That's why I'm, I'm telling you about these hindrances. Is That's what he's talking about. He's talking about these hindrances that they couldn't get over until it was too late. And after reading that, I'm going to give you the last two hurdles to get over. Now, you might think I'm going to give you some even higher hurdles. But no, no, these, these hurdles are not high. These hurdles are extremely low. In fact, these hurdles are so low that they're invisible. But it's funny, the majority of people trip on them. There's two of them. The first one, and I think Solzhenitsyn kind of um, mentioned, or kind of, if you read between the lines, and that's naivety, being naive. It's the inability to see evil because you can't believe it's happening. You want to ignore it until it goes away. You want to follow the rules so that things get better. Well, it's time to quit being naive. It's time to wake up. It's time to become alarmed. Because freedom ain't free, and it never was. It's just been taken for granted. So, if you can't believe it's happening, you better wake up and see those little tiny electric wires that you've always stayed away from and maybe it's time to hit them really hard and get over it break those barriers and get over those hurdles okay another low hurdle so low that it's invisible and yet everybody trips on it is a lack of moral conviction now this has been stolen from you your moral conviction now i need to explain moral conviction a little bit because moral conviction is not morality itself it can lead to a better morality, or it can do a great evil. Moral conviction is just being certain about something. That's, that's all it really means. 
there's probably a, a better um, definition, but that's the way I'm going to define it. Just you know that you know that you know that this is right, and you're going to act on it. So, I mean, well, think of, here's a good way to explain it. Leftists of all stripes have great moral conviction. They're positive that they're right. They're so convinced that power for power's sake is just and that the ends will justify the means. They're willing to do anything. And I mean, if you look at the communists, if you look at somebody like Stalin, he had great moral conviction. Killing his own people was not a big deal. You know, he said one person dying is, is, is a tragedy, but a million people dying is just a statistic. So they believed that, that they were going to bring about a world that was so good. It was, you know, you got to break a few eggs if you're going to make an omelet. That's the attitude. That's moral conviction. So moral conviction can be evil or it can be good. And, you know, the, the common folks, the plain people, they just want to live a quiet life and raise their kids, work their jobs, and do all that. But they've been taught from, you've been taught, we've all been taught from a very young age, elements of critical theory, that there is no right and wrong. There is no good and evil. Question everything. And what that leads you, if you get a thought in your head and, and you start thinking, wow, maybe I need to, you know, break through that barrier. Maybe I need to jump that hurdle. Well, you better question that. And if you want to know more about that and how um, critical theory has affected us, um, you can listen to some of my other episodes. I think episode four and episode 10, I think I... I explained them a little bit better um critical theory and and how it takes away moral conviction i actually think i take a swing at it in just about every one of my episodes but those are the two that come to mind that that um i i talk about it in a little bit of detail but you know it's past time now to do a gut check to search your soul to know yourself and decide where you draw that line and once you draw that line it it you don't allow anyone else to cross it because with moral conviction comes courage that you need and the resolve that you're going to need to get over those hurdles. And as far as morality, well, you better be careful with that one. I think I'll just leave that one between you and your creator. And I encourage you to get in touch with him because the way things are going, this is becoming a battle between good and evil like I've never seen before in my lifetime. And from the way I understand history and, and the way things have gone, this becomes more and more obvious every day. The people with the plan, the they, they have a plan for you. The elites in our culture, in our government, in our big corporations, they're not even trying to hide it anymore. So it's time to open your eyes and see that it's important to get that moral conviction all right some practical steps i always like to give these and i always started off the same way let's see if i can if i can get this one and like I say every time, this is something that was said to me when I was a kid. I was sitting on the couch too much watching television, and it was usually my uncle or my 
grandfather or somebody would say, get off your butt and turn off the boob tube. Get outside and do something. You're not going to learn anything sitting there watching that thing. Go outside and get the stink blowed off of you. If this keeps up, this country is going to be full of people with wide, soft asses and even softer heads. There you go. There's your admonition to get out and do something. Turn off the legacy media. Limit the new media. Limit your social media. Build something. Grow something. Learn something practical. Get out in the natural world. See reality. Get some exercise. If you want to see some of the other practical steps, you'll have to go through my episodes. I give these at the end. This day, this episode, the assignment that you have, and I think I've given this assignment before, but by golly, this one's getting more important all the time. Find some like-minded people in meat space. You know, people that are close to you. When I say close to you, well, it could be close to you. It could be somebody, family, somebody you love, that's fine. But close to you, geographically speaking, get to know them. Find out how all the closest and spatial term, I'm talking about your neighbors, uh, people around you, people in your community, people in your neighborhood, feel about all this stuff that's going on. Go ahead and break some rules against congregating. Get used to breaking some rules. Um, catalog those people on a scale of where they stand on this stuff. You know, make notes if you have to. Who can you go to? Who's going to have your back? Who's, who's going to rat you out? Who's going to give you trouble if you do start deciding to break some rules, make some noise? Because, you know, there's another quote, and this one is Edmund Burke. He said, When bad men combine, the good must associate. Else they will all, one by one, they will fall one by one. An unpitied sacrifice in a contemptible struggle. So there you go. Find some good people to associate with as you journey onward in this adventure called life. All right, that's how we're going to end this. Um, if you like these um, and you want to read more things that I write, you can find me at my website, Anime Patrol. Or no, sorry, my website is anomicranger.com. If you want to write, drop me an email, you can find me at animepatrolhq at yahoo.com. And, yeah, I would uh, enjoy hearing from you, any thoughts, any ideas that you have. And don't forget to, wherever you listen to your podcast, to subscribe and give me a review, things like that. And... Don't forget, till we meet again, keep an edge on your knife, keep your matches dry, because life is a one-time adventure. Doesn't matter what's happening, it's an adventure. So learn to live it that way. Vaya con Dios, eh? <laughs>